Did we just write the Bible? Right, yeah, you get it's done. <laughs> this is the seven commandments. That's <laughs> the seven commandments. And welcome back. Welcome aboard another Par Train. I'm one of your co-hosts, Evan Singer. Cermak couldn't make it this week, so it was just me. In case you guys are new, welcome aboard the Par Train. We help frustrated golfers enjoy the ride again because if you can learn to smile through bad golf, you can smile through anything. We unpack the mental game with anyone from a PGA Tour pro to a best-selling author, a sports psychologist, and a golfer like you and me. And today was a super fun and unique opportunity to interview the other big mental game show, in golf we came together josh nichols of the mental golf show and we'll get to that in a second but first guys our friends at roback just did some incredible stuff for black friday and holidays are just around the corner so my favorite activewear brand take advantage okay go to roback.com enter the code train get 15 percent off and get yourself some crew neck sweaters you know they're my most favorite versatile garment that roback has the softest hoodies in the game Always a good time to get a new hoodie, polos, golf pants, joggers, shorts. They've got all of it. The new Tradewind Performance tees are super soft as well. My new favorite t-shirt. So anything you want, they've got it. Go to Roback.com, enter the code TRAIN, get 15% off, and hope you guys get some good gifts or ask for Roback. That's a perfect gift. Give them the code TRAIN and say, hey, give me this for uh, Christmas, Hanukkah, whatever. Get yourself 15% off thanks to the part train. You're welcome. You can just tell them you're welcome. All right. This episode with Josh Nichols was super fun. Okay. I love how I told Josh, I was like, honestly, I haven't really paid attention to who else is in the podcast game. I've been focusing on what we're doing. And um, I came across Josh's work and he has another mental game podcast. It's called the Mental Golf Show. And instead of coming off like competitors, we want the same things. We want to help golfers get off the struggle bus, right? So we came together. I'm going to go on his show next month and we invited him on our show. Unfortunately, Cermak couldn't make it, but we had an amazing conversation and we talked about the seven things that golfers do backwards. He's done a million podcasts. He coaches many different golfers on the mental side as well. And it was cool to have a counterpart in the same space, kind of come together and go over what we've seen of what golfers are doing backwards versus the best players in the world. And we went through all seven and it was one of my favorite conversations we've had in a while. So you guys are going to love it. As always, hop aboard the YouTube channel at the par train email list, the especially if you want to get access to the new hats coming this week, get on our email list there at the par train on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, putting new content there every day to help you stay on track. And uh, no matter what happens, guys, no matter how many things you're doing backwards out there, just enjoy the ride. Thanks as always for hopping aboard. It means the world. And thanks for all your messages around Spotify wrapped. It was really cool to see how many of you had us as your top podcast. We're growing super fast day in and day out. So if you're new and you're just hopping aboard, welcome. If this is your 200th ride, welcome. We love all of you equally and we hope this helps enjoy the ride. All right. Take care guys. Enjoy it. Josh Nichols, it's my pleasure. Welcome aboard the par train, my man. We're excited to have you. Yeah, man, it's good to be here. I uh, appreciate getting connected, and it's always an honor to be on another podcast, especially especially par train. So I appreciate it. Yeah, no, we were just talking off air. It's super cool that you know the other big mental golf show on the podcast platforms 
you and I coming together. Unfortunately, Sir Matt couldn't be here today. Mm-hmm. But I was thinking, you know, it's kind of like the Bizarro world. You said you're yeah. you're a Seinfeld guy, right? Like, what yeah. does it feel? Let's start off today with figuring out hmm. what does it feel like to be. I don't know who's the real Jerry and who's the Bizarro Jerry. We don't need to go into that. But <laughs> right, the Bizarro world. What's it feel like to be in it right now? Right. I think of maybe you as Jerry, and I'm like Kramer or George. <laughs> right. I'm I'm a side player. No, I I the the thing about podcasting or maybe content in general. I don't. I think there's enough people out there to consume everything, right? Like they could listen to mine and then yours, yours and then mine and then someone else's or neither or one or the other. It is always interesting to talk to someone that's in almost the identical space, but I don't get any, you know, competitive vibes either from you. Like you're a chill LA guy, right? You got enjoy the ride behind you, right? You're not like, you're not trying to take me down. Right. And I don't, I don't ever get that vibe from someone in a similar space to me. I've on mine and maybe you've done this too, but I've had lots of other mental coaches, PhDs, uh, sports psychologists that a player could choose me or them. And Mm -hmm. just, it doesn't bother me. Of course, I would like people's business. I'd like people's ears. I genuinely believe if someone needs help with their game, mental game, psychology, whatever, if they find me, awesome. If they find you guys, awesome. If they find some other mental coach, awesome. Um, and it's just, I don't, the term that I think I've heard is like, it's a zero sum game. I don't even know what that means, but I think it's what describes what we're talking about right now. It, yeah. it just, there's no, there's no competition here. It's just, yeah. we're both putting out good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's why I'm super excited. I'm going to come on your show probably in December at some point. So I'm excited to expose us to each other's audiences. I'm sure there's some crossover. I'm sure there's probably a lot of not. And you know, you made me think everything's a remix, right? So we all get informed and learn things from different influences. And sometimes it can take the, it might sound like the same thing, but it's said in a little bit different way and it can connect with other people. And that's why, to your point, I love bringing on everyone from every different area to try and help frustrated golfers enjoy the ride again. So yeah. we're excited to have you. Yeah. Let me also start with this. What have you learned from hosting a mental golf show? I'm going to ask this selfishly mm-hmm. that maybe you didn't know before you started the show. Yeah, man, that's so... That's so such a deep question because I, I mean, it, I don't think it's hyper hyperbole to say I've learned everything from doing it. I, mm-hmm. the, the people that I've had on have, have turned, some of them have turned into mentors for me that I text randomly for advice or have kind of like, I was going in one direction with like, I, I do my own golf psychology coaching. And so I was going in this, I was going in a direction and I had them on randomly and, and they kind of basically turned me and, and like said, no, that, that direction you're going down might not be so helpful. You need to be heading this direction. And whether it's in a business from a business standpoint or a, you know, actual psychology knowledge, what I'm learning, what I'm intaking, how I'm talking to players, uh, how I'm podcasting, right? How, the whole the whole picture i have basically learned by having people on the podcast so yeah. it's been 
like you said, kind of selfishly, the podcast, it has a major selfish component to it for me mm -hmm. because I get to talk to someone for an hour that they might charge someone $5,000 for that hour and it's free for me, right? Don't tell anybody, yeah. right? But it's such a really great bridge to invite someone over and learn from them and also get to share the, as I'm learning with other people. So maybe what's the biggest thing is don't help people completely from my own experience. Learn from, you know, the greatest minds in psychology, right? The people that have done real research on this stuff and have written books about it. And I've got a shelf right over here of like books that aren't golf related at all, but they are psychology related. Yeah. Same. And right. And so it's like, learn from those people and share that knowledge and quit resting only on your own experience. Use your own experience, but don't rest on it completely. That's probably the biggest thing I've learned having people on the podcast. Yeah. I love that. Can you give an example of a path you were going down or mm. a concept you were nearing towards that a mentor sure. or guest pushed you in the other direction? Yeah. So it could probably be summarized rather than maybe specific. It would be the difference between kind of surface level -y psychology or mental game versus like kind of a like deeper level psychology. And I'm maybe the most specific I could be is I had Dr. Raymond Pryor on the podcast and he's written a book called golf beneath the surface. And the title says it all where the kind of the last 30, 40 years of the mental game has, has been in his words, kind of surface level. And he says, there's a whole deep, like a vast ocean of research about psychology that can inform us better than just, yeah, here's an anecdote. Here's a little bit of a tidbit. Here's a tip and a trick, right? Like we can go deeper. So it would probably be the path from here's how it felt to me. So maybe this can help you kind of surface levelly to there's actual real science to this, right? You don't have to guess, you don't have to yeah. give tips and tricks. You can, you can make real change to people's mm -hmm. beliefs. That'd probably be the most specific. Yeah. It also sounds maybe a little bit less theoretical and more practical and tactical. Sure. Yeah. Well said. Yeah. Yeah. It, it would be. So Josh, I don't normally do this with guests. We're going to do something different because you're a, okay. you're a fellow mental game pro. And yeah. I was really thinking hard this past week preparing for this of, you know, usually I have a few questions that I definitely want to ask, but I let the conversation flow and mm. it's a very intuitive thing. And we kind of dig in on the things that pop up that interest us most, right? I don't normally have a very specific topic that I go into an interview looking to drill down on. Today I do. Yeah. Okay. Today I do. I love because it. I was thinking, I was actually doing a similar exercise of what I asked you of what have I learned mm. in the show? What have I learned from all these different mentors for me, like you referenced? And something that kept coming up was amateur golfers tend to have things backwards when it comes to really high level amateurs, pros, et cetera, right? And so I came up with five examples now, we don't have to be limited to those five, 
but I kind of want to use these as our kind of guide. Mm. And then you and I can unpack the things that golfers naturally do that maybe is counterintuitive or backwards of what unlocks their best golf, right? Okay. So my first one for you is, and you've done a whole episode on this, mm. which is kind of where I started as I was listening to your show, trying to stop bad thoughts from coming mm. in versus expecting them to show up and knowing how to manage it. Maybe let's start there. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's that you asked me off air. Is there anything that I want to talk about? And I mentioned some other things, but this is a huge one, right? This is, um, I think I might've even tweeted recently. Like if there's one thing that I want to change for players is this kind of effort that players put into negative thoughts are bad. Only positive thoughts are good. So the, idea is thoughts are going to happen whether we want them to or not. And that's what our brains are designed to do, right? Our brains are designed to think they're designed to use the past and to try to predict the future so that we can survive in the present or we can thrive in the present or be comfortable in the present, right? Our brains are always like, what's going to happen? What has happened? Right? They're you know, kind of computing machines that are like helping us out, which is awesome, right? It's like a survival instinct, but what's the problem with golf is when your brain is on this kind of hyperdrive of past and future, then you're not present on the golf shot. So we know that our brains are designed to do that, but it also brings us out of the present. So we have to be able to notice that our brains are doing that and come back to the present, but that also assumes like we can stop our brain from doing what it's trying to do. And we can't, right? We can simply notice that there's negative thoughts about past, scary thoughts about future, predictive thoughts, whatever we can notice and then say, okay, well, there's thoughts. Now let's come back to the present. And when we try to stop those negative thoughts, we only add more thinking to the thinking that's already there. Yeah. Right. So well, I want to, I want to point out one thing you just said, I'm going to interject for a second. I, we call our listeners passengers, just so you know, nice. so I love that passengers right now. I want to point out a couple things you just said. So you said you, you almost, you said notice, right? Keyword. You also mm-hmm. said, looking into the future, worrying about the past, what you just did, which has been really effective for me with my own coach, as well as, you know, with some of my players that Mm. I coach is using golf as a noticing exercise, basically a meditation exercise. Um, you can call it whatever you want, but that's basically Mm -hmm. what it is, is you say, Oh, that's judgment. Mm. That's fixing. That's worrying about the future that's rooted in the past. And suddenly it becomes much easier to break the connection between Mm -hmm. the thought is me that creates an emotion. Then I spiral to the next one. I lose control. So the noticing and labeling I found, because a lot of people here stay present, 
but nobody knows mm. what that means. It's so cliche. Nobody knows what to do with it. But noticing and labeling, I think, is a very tactical, valuable thing to do. Would you agree? Yeah, yeah. And the and the term in like therapy or counseling would be naming, right? Where if there's like a habitual negative thought that just kind of seems to always happen. And by default, we just have that thought and go with it, right? We don't, we don't stop to actually notice it. We just, the thought happens. I step up on 13, there's out of bounds all down the left. I get scared. I swing scared. I hit a thin, weak drive out there off the heel and it goes in the fairway. Okay. I made it through. Right. And that whole thing was just a habitual response to a negative thought that happened. Instead, you notice it and label it or name it. Right. And say, okay, there I go again. Right. There, I, I notice that fear. Okay. That's normal. Right. It's a normal reaction to something that I perceive as scary. But then you take it the next step and you say, okay, why is this so scary? What am I so scared of? What is the worst case scenario here? Okay, I hit the ball out of bounds. I got a re -tee. It'll make scoring on this hole harder, right? And that's kind of it, right? It might be embarrassing. There might be more to it. Some of my players are, have a real issue and a lot of fear around this kind of thing. And it causes even bigger kind of um, physiological response of like yeah. a yip or something. Yeah. But the the basic level is, you know what? There is something to be like, I am scared of this. What specifically am I scared of? Oh, wait, it's just that? That's not right. that bad, right? right. You kind of reduce the intensity of the thing you're afraid of by labeling it or naming it. Kind of makes it small, kind of separates it from you. Kind of like you're setting your fear out on a shelf and observing it, right? Out on your desk, on your experimentation table, right? It's yeah. like, okay, there's the thing I was scared of. I look at it. It's just like it's there, right? It's not me. I like how you said that. It's not me. It's just a thought that's happening to me. Yeah. I want to dig into that a little bit more because on one hand, it's really great that it seems so simplistic. Like if someone's really struggling that's ever learned these tools, that's a really great thing. But mm -hmm. I also want to be careful because I've experienced this myself. It can be such a terrible cycle and if you tie your identity to your golf, it can mm -hmm. be the worst feeling in the world, right? And yeah. and someone might say to you, well, it's just golf, but that's the worst possible thing to hear because to you, it's not just golf, it's you. So what would you say to someone that hears this and those bad thoughts create feelings mm -hmm. in the hands, right? Anxiety in the chest. What would you say that acknowledges the pain they're going through while also the simplicity of the practice. Yeah. Yeah. That it is tougher when it, when it becomes a deeper thing of what does this mean about me as a person or as, about me as a golfer? A lot of my players struggle with, I've been working so hard. So why isn't it coming out on the golf course? Right? So they, this identity of, I should be doing well, but I'm not. And this particular instance, I'm thinking of one player in particular who has the driving yips, right? They, they really, really struggle with that. And it's, it's something, it's a hump that we have not 
been able to get over. And it's, it's hard. Like I can feel his pain through the computer, right? It's like when he's up on this, on this tee shot, all the baggage of the years of dealing with this, it comes out and he is scared to death of experiencing this pain once again. Right. So with trying to be sensitive to players that are struggling on that level, I know how, I mean, to him, this is an impossible thing to get over, right? No amount of acceptance is it's just golf or you know what? Golf doesn't mean that much. No amount of that helps him. So to him, it might as well be life and death, right? So with sensitivity to, to someone or players that are going through something like that, the ultimate way for a player like that to work them, work their way out is what is the worst case scenario and can I accept it? Right? So even to the player who thinks it's impossible, okay, the worst case scenario is I hit this out of bounds. I get this horrible feeling and I don't want it, right? I want anything but it, but can I handle it, right? Can I live with it? Can I be okay with it? The player that I'm referring to in our conversations, he says, no, I cannot, right? I don't want it. I don't want to feel that. And sometimes it's just not, you can't accept it. But what we're all trying to get to is a place where we can say, I can experience that and I can accept it. I can be okay with it. I can live with it. And that whittles it down to its smallest part. It doesn't, it's not this huge thing that we've blown out of proportion over the years. It's this little thing that we've been scared of and becomes more manageable and sometimes becomes less scary. Mm -hmm. So yes, there is, there are players that struggle with it much, much more than others. But I think the route out is the same for everybody. It's just much more difficult for some. So what did you and that player do to work through that? Because it is about, about small wins, right? Yeah. Like I've experienced personally and with my players too. You can't go from debilitating fear to excitement and confidence. You got to start with a little less fear and those yeah. small wins. So yeah. what did you guys go to? Your player's telling you, no, I can't accept it. This is the most painful thing I've experienced. I'm so sick of this defining mm. my rounds of just, I can't hit a fairway. What? Where did you guys start? Where are you today? What have you worked on? Yeah. So, so to start at the end, we are still in the process. It is yeah. not solved. And part of the process is realizing this might not ever be solved, right? And that's that's a painful truth that actually needs to be come to, needs to be agreed upon, agreed with, to actually try to untangle it. If you can say, this might not ever go away, then on some level that makes it easier to let go of. But we started with, you're absolutely right, we started by trying to whittle down the fear of, okay, what specifically are you afraid of? Why are you afraid of it? Does it, is it pervasive throughout your whole game? Is it just driving? And we found out, oh wait, it's actually more prevalent than I thought, right? So now I'm, we're ramping up the awareness a little bit. And at first that 
kind of is like opening up a wound and it's more painful at first because now I'm noticing everything, but that the next step is then, okay, now I kind of have a control on, okay, what am I working through? What does need to be addressed? How prevalent is this thing? Okay. It's, it's here, here and here. So it's almost like it had to get worse before it gets better because now we realize, okay, it's actually all of this. So we actually need to address more than we thought. It's bigger than we thought. And as we've gone, we've, we've said, okay, what's the worst case scenario here? Each step along the way is like, okay, what's the worst case scenario for your whole golf game? You're not, you don't reach your goals that you said you wanted. What are your goals, right? You, I want to be, I want to be a great player. I want to win this. I want to qualify for this. Okay. Coming to a realistic view of, okay, what is your game right now? Are you capable of that right now? And taking a hard look and saying, maybe I'm not right. So kind of like allowing him, helping him see reality each step along the way and seeing what it, what the worst case scenario would actually mean for him, for his golf game, for this individual shot. And we're at a place now where we're having to help him stack the evidence of, I, you know, most of my drives on the course are bad, right? They're yippy, they're swung out of fear and constriction. But when I'm on the range, they're mostly good. Seven or eight out of 10, they're good. But if you combine, you know, pre-run warm-up with the actual round, maybe I hit 30 drives across those two things. More of them are good and less of them are bad. So we're trying to say, when you step up on a tee, remind yourself of the truth. I can hit the driver well, right? On the course, I struggle, but I can physically hit the driver well. So yeah. maybe he's written this story over time of I'm a bad driver, right? Maybe he's overgeneralized himself as a bad driver. So let's remind yourself, okay, you're not just a bad driver. You can hit good drives and you can hit bad drives. So let's keep that in mind, right? Yeah. So a reminder of the truth of real evidence. And that's where we're at, right? It's, it's a continuing process that he realizes and recognizes it might not end, right? Our time together, he and I might end before he figures this out. And he and I have both come to the acceptance of that. That's okay. Right. Yeah. So not everything is like tied up with a bow. You're done. You're fixed. You're perfect. Right. Well, some people might hear that and say, well, he's giving up. He's accepting that he mm. might not have his goals, but I, I would love to point out that by simply accepting the worst case scenario, the tightness at which he is gripping the goal Mm. loosening that might actually help the, the problem itself because every time he struggles, it's a reminder how far away he is from the thing that he wants to become. And if that's everything, mm. you know, I coach, I'm coaching someone right now whose singular goal is to qualify for the USAM. And I asked him something similar. I said, are you okay? Not ever qualifying for the USAM if you gave it your all, mm. right? Are you going to be able to live with that? And his answer was yes. But every time he struggled, he thought about how far he was away from being able to qualify for the USAM, right? So I actually learned that from Rick Sessinghouse as well, where, uh, who I know you've had on your show too, mm -hmm. where Colin wanted to be the number one player in the world, 
that's a goal. It's good to have that, but he doesn't think about that day in and day out. He has daily goals that he knows if he accomplishes, it'll get him to the pie in the sky goal. But if you're keep measuring yourself versus the pie in the sky goal, it's just going to make everything harder. Yeah, that's well said. If you if you're constantly measuring against the end result, it it becomes a recipe for burnout. If you yeah. if every time you show up you expect to get something and you don't. Okay, that sucks. That feels awful. But I'll show up tomorrow and try again. I expect to get this thing. Don't get it. Expect to get this thing. Don't get it. Day in, day out. You're not going to want to keep going, right? Why yeah. would you keep going? This right. every time you're disappointed instead of okay, that is my goal. That's where I want to get. But let's set that aside if possible. And like you said, small wins. Let's let's set today. What do I got to do? What would help me if done enough reach my goal? And I might get there, you know, or I might not. And being able to accept that frees you up to just let yourself do your thing instead of wrangling it and controlling it all along the way. And yep. which makes it harder to, to accomplish your goal. Really well said on your part. All right, stay seated. Keep those seatbelts fast and we'll get you right back to the show. But first, you got to listen. We've got hats. I've got an update on Partrain hats. I know you guys are excited as me because I make these hats to be selfishly hats that I'm dying to wear myself. I'm trying to make the greatest golf hat in the industry. I think we've been doing that and they've just been getting better and better. But this week is a very special, unique drop. Okay. If you're listening, this is coming out December 3rd. I can't believe it's December 2023. And the new hats are dropping this week. I can't tell you when they're dropping, but the best way to snag a hat before they sell out, because they sell out in twenty less than 24 hours every time, is getting aboard our email list. Go to thepartrain.com. You scroll down a little bit. You'll see a little box that says hop aboard the email list. Put your email in there. Click hop aboard. You're automatically in. We're launching the hats directly to our email list. And guys, normally we do two or three styles per drop. We're doing six this time, okay? I thought it'd be special going into the holidays to drop all the styles as possible. If you guys want gifts, if you want to get the hat as a gift for yourself, if you want to give the hat to a friend or family member, I wanted to give you all the options possible. And that's not just it. But wait, there's more. My good friends at Red Rooster Golf Gloves, my the greatest golf glove in the industry, and also they've got Enjoy the Ride gloves, Partrain gloves that are my favorite. They're giving the first 25 buyers of Partrain hats a free Red Rooster glove. I mean, that'll basically pay for almost the value of the hat, almost half the hat. So it's a no-brainer. Snag a hat. We'll launch them to our email list this week. I'm very excited, and I can't wait to get them to you guys. Make sure you get them before December 10th to make sure they arrive in time for the holidays. So my wife and I are going to be working around the clock to make sure we pack these up and get them sent out ASAP. And the first 25 are going to get a free glove. Let's get back to the show. This is a classic thing. We're both in this space, mental game, pods, and we've only gotten through one of five. And (laughs) as we were talking, I just added a a sixth, which we'll go to next. So you tell me if you agree with this. Okay. Um, trying harder 
will get me better results. Mm. I think that's a little bit counterintuitive in this game. Right. And maybe anything thoughts there. Yeah. And what would the alternative be that you see really good players do? That definitely at first feels like the right thing to do. Right. It's kind and of what we're always I, told, right? Right. Yeah. You got to put in. Okay. So this, the, the, I guess issue with this is when someone hears try harder, what do they mean by it? What does their brain tell yeah, them? Right. What do they do it could, right. It could mean I care a lot, which I think you should. It could mean I beat myself up if I fail. Right. Which a lot of people do. It could mean I get, I feel extreme guilt if I don't show up to, to practice or to play or whatever. So trying hard could just as easily mean something good, depending on the person's relationship with effort, right. Or work ethic. But typically people here try hard and they say, I, yep. If I'm, if this, if I'm not like grinding and miserable and like I should be angry all the time and I'm going to use that anger to motivate me. And when I, when a round starts going bad, I'm going to force it to be good. I'm going to force a birdie. I'm going to try to will this in the hole, all those things. That's the classic try too hard. So I think the problem with that is what I've learned and experienced is when something is going wrong, when you're not getting what you want and now you try to make it go the way that you want. And because now I'm trying, I expect it to go the way I want. And, it, and if it continues to not go the way that you want, then you assume I'm doing something wrong. So I have to double down on trying even harder, gripping it even harder, not physically, it could be physically gripping the club harder, but it, you know, metaphorically gripping this round harder, right? Okay. I got to hit it even closer. Right. And okay. Like back to the negative thoughts aren't allowed kind of thing. If I start having negative thoughts and I hit a bad shot, I link those two. So now I try extra hard to not have a negative thought on the next shot or the rest of this round, but they're going to happen whether you like it or not. So you're going to encounter this like, wait, I thought I was going to make no negative thoughts happen, but there's one. So what's going on? What am I doing wrong? So now you're fighting yourself the entire round of golf instead of just playing the round of golf yep. and negative thoughts going to be there or not. So trying too hard often means you end up fighting yourself more than being present and paying attention to what you need to be doing. But I think you should care, right? For like, sure. Just because you're trying less hard kind of seems like, okay, I should stop caring about what I shoot. I should stop being competitive. I should stop trying. And no, right. You yeah. need to work hard to, to improve, but if you're constantly battling yourself, then you're getting in your own way. Yeah. It sounds like it's the control side of it. You can still try hard. You still, you still need to have the fight that tigers talked about for so many years. Mm. Um, but what you also hear Tiger say is he never gives up on a shot, but he also lets the round come to him. Mm. He lets the round emerge. If he got frustrated every time a round didn't go as he expected, we'd be frustrated every single round of every golf round we ever play. Right. Yeah. So I think the 
the backwards learning on number two sounds like would be having some trust and faith and almost excitement of seeing how the round plays out. You're going to make a long putt you didn't expect. You're going to bogey one from the fairway, right? So what? Yeah. Yeah. Go to the next right. one. See where the yeah. chips fall. That's what all the best players seem to say at the end of a great round. Yeah. Yeah. And I, the term that comes to mind would be maybe curiosity here Yeah. of like, let's see how today goes. My my favorite analogy that I've always used, always used for myself and talking to other people is kind of a test taking analogy of practice is like studying and playing is like taking the test. So a lot of us get really anxious about tests, but if you, if you prioritize learning, like I'm not just cramming to take this test, I'm trying to learn the material as good as possible so that I become a smarter person. Now let's go take a test to test how much I know. And, uh, okay. I got a 55 on that test. I must need to learn a lot more. So I'm going to get back to studying and now let's, take the test again. So it's taking a more curious look at, okay, how do I handle this kind of situation? How, how is my game right now? What can, what am I capable of shooting right now? Okay. Well, I shot a 78 uh, with, and I'm a scratch player. Maybe I need to get better. Right. I, I had a, I had a U.S. mid-am qualifier this summer or fall, and I haven't been able to practice or prepare that much it was playing really hard, firm and fast. And I shot a 78, I think it was six over. And I walked away like that was, I feel pretty good about that. And, and what that told me, because I was able to be, have a little more, bit more of an open mindset to it was if 78 is starting to feel okay to me, I must need to get a lot better. Right. Mm -hmm. Instead of, believing and comparing myself to some past version of me that should be able to do this or that, I would just be mad the whole time and leave, right. leave that round defeated and dejected. But instead I'm able to say, you know what? I think I just need to get better, right? If that's kind of my bar right now, I've got some improvement to do. So taking that yeah. curious look. Yeah. That, and that on, kind of more open mentality. Yeah. And on that point, you kind of need curiosity to know what to improve. Yeah. Otherwise you're going right. to walk out with a 78 as a scratch and be like, I don't know what to do. Yeah. Like you have to have some awareness of like, not even stats or performance that's helpful and valuable, but also like, where was I most uncomfortable today? Where can I, how can I use my practice to gain comfort? You know, instead of yes. practice makes perfect. Yeah. All right. So that's two mm. now moving on to three. And by the way, okay. if you have one, as we're talking through these, feel free to throw one in. We can make this okay. list as long as we want. Although I do have your hard stop. We won't go over. Got it. Got um, it. Yeah. I think number three is trying not to hit it in a hazard hmm. versus getting clear on where you want it to go. That's this is a yeah. classic example, but I think it's maybe the easiest one to forget because it's hmm. right there and you can go your entire round trying to avoid things. And you never actually give your brain clear direction on what it's supposed to do. Yeah, that is such a good one because most players spend their rounds trying not to do things, avoiding what they don't want versus going for what they do want. And it's real easy to say, 
stop that, right? Like quit, quit trying to avoid things, right? And that would be like some people might hear that and and like that's the first I've ever heard that. Good point. And then they never look back and they are able to like, whoa, now that you mention it, yeah, I have been avoiding stuff. Let's pick a target and go for there. Mm-hmm. But to a lot of people, that can be kind of surfacey advice, right? Like just stop avoiding things you're scared of, right? Well, that's like saying you're hitting in a bunker and there's a snake next to your foot. Just don't care about the snake, right? right. Who cares, right. right? No one can do that. You, you would, right. that's where your attention would be if that's the thing you're scared of. Right. So it's like Brent around, McCabe yeah. told us, don't tell a soldier in Iraq to act like you're in North Carolina. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Yes. You're that's in Iraq. A, that's terrible advice, right? Yeah. That's, um, that's not seeing things as, as they are. And also you're going to like probably not respond to your environment the right way. So Instead, the counterintuitive advice would be notice the thing that you're trying to avoid, right? Actually address the thing that you're scared of. And kind of what we've been saying would be, okay, what, like, why are you scared of that thing? Why are you trying to avoid it? Why, what is keeping you from paying attention to what you do want? You got to start there because as long as you're scared of something, that's where your attention will be. Right. We just, that's just how our biology works. So if there's something you're scared of, you've got to address why you're scared of that thing and become less scared of it before you can actually go for what you want. You can't, you can't focus on the center of the fairway if you're terrified, scared to death of going out of bounds. So you've got to address the fear of going out of bounds before you can actually be where you want. So that's that avoidance versus, I don't know, going for, right? Uh, proactively choosing, right? Yeah, that's a good one. That's a tough one that people just kind of go through their rounds not even noticing. Right. And maybe it's un- piggybacking on number two a bit where if you have that much fear of a certain thing, that's really valuable information to your why to then yep. go back and practice and address like, okay, I'm really scared of that miss right off the tee. Mm. So I know what to work on. Yes. What are my feels? What are my keys, physical and mental, that as long as I do this, I have confidence that mm. I'm not going to hit a big block, right? Yep. Where do I need to be aimed so that I take that out of play? Yes. Right. That's really right. valuable inf- information. As scary as the response is, yeah. So the, the difficult thing is sometimes, or at first, especially you're going to notice the thing that you're actually scared of. And that's going to feel like you're opening yourself up to like, now you're aware of it and scared of it. So it's really acute on that T box, right? It's really strong. It's really pungent. The, the fear of this thing. So now on this T shot, you're going to notice that you're scared of that. And you're going to hit your shot anyway, and you're going to experience all the symptoms, all the feelings, all the emotions of how scared you were and see where your ball goes, but you got to go at it curiously of like, okay, how am I going to respond this time now that I'm aware? So 
what you do when you, when you do that is, okay, I, I was terrified of going out of bounds and I'm, I'm noticing that I'm feeling it. I'm feeling all the emotions and I'm going to hit my drive and wherever it goes after the fact you say, okay, did I die? No. Did I, uh, okay. I hit it out of bounds. It felt awful. I reteed, I hit it again, or I hit the fairway or I hit it way right. You experience that and you say, okay, kind of reflect, okay, was that worth my being terrified? Mm, most people will say no. They will say that was not worth it to be that scared. Now that I'm noticing what I'm scared of. So they show themselves, wait, it's actually not that scary, right? You kind of prove it to yourself that what you're afraid of is not that big of a deal. Totally. And look, maybe there's what I've learned too is obviously mental and physical are one. They they mm. create and inform the other. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I made this mistake personally because I'm like, I'm not going to make that same mistake and think it's my swing. I'm going to address my mental demons and I'm going to share it with the passengers. And I spent too long thinking something was mental when actually I had a mechanical flaw that was making what I was trying to do virtually impossible. And now that I've learned some foundational information of, you know, grip change and some things that actually keep the face less open and more square, like I'm now seeing some great results, but it's easy yeah. to get really frustrated if you don't have the tools at your disposal, physical and mental, right? Yeah. Look, you, you, no amount of confidence or acceptance can make you feel okay on a tee shot that you have literal no idea. Like you, if you're on the range and you're spraying it everywhere, your swing feel is awful, right? Like you, you can't, you can't hit it in the ocean. You're not gonna be able to step up on a tee shot and feel okay. So you've got to address your physical game, right? We're in this conversation, we're assuming let's talk mental, the mental side, your game, your physical game is good enough, but when you get on the course, you're debilitated. That's probably mental. But if your physical game needs work, right? Yeah. You're always going to flip at it. If you're if you're something in your swing feels like you're keeping it open, you're going to have to flip at it, which is going to cause who knows what issue. So yes, you have to, you got to address both, right? You can't just listen to the par train and become a perfect golfer. Despite what Evan says, I know, I know he's saying that all the time. This is your only thing you need in your life, but you got to work on your game, right? You got to work on your physical game. All right, stay seated. We're going to take another quick stop on the train. And then we'll get you right back to your destination. I've got an amazing idea for you guys for the holiday. I was talking to my friends at Red Rooster Golf Gloves. They made a good point. You know, it's really tough to buy a gift for the golfer that already has everything. I'm exhibit A. Tara makes a joke with me all the time. She's like, I can't get you anything golf because you're very specific on what you want. And anytime you want something, you get it for yourself. Red Rooster's got something that not everybody has. Number one, obviously, a glove. We don't always love to buy gloves for ourselves as often as we need them. We let the crusty glove ball up in our bag a little bit longer than we probably should. So a glove is always a great thing. But let me move on to the thing that you probably haven't heard about. Range gloves, just for the driving range, it's stretchy. It'll last forever. It makes sure you don't wear out your other gamer gloves. 
And two, this is brand new. They've got a glove carry case. It's black leather. It's got this gold emblem on the front. It can let you put like three to five gloves in it and it keeps them super flat and helps them last longer. And it slips into the side of your bag super easy. They just sent me one and I absolutely love it. Red Rooster and I put our heads together and we're doing something that I've never heard anyone ever do. They created a code for us. It's called train five, train in the number five that will give you a boost. So let's say they've got 30 to 40% bundle savings on their site right now at redroostergolf.com. You throw in train five, you get an additional 5% off everything on the site. So that ensures that you get the greatest deal possible on the site, redroostergolf.com. Enter the code train five, get yourself a little boost, 5% boost on top of every deal they've got. Get yourself or others a great gift for the holidays. All right, let's get back on track. Now, this is a perfect segue, Josh. I can tell you're a podcast host because number four (laughs) is thinking about your swing instead of the shot or the target. Now, you could say this is goes counter against the point we literally just made, (laughs) but it can also work the other way around, right? You can have fine mechanics, but if you're giving your brain four instructions in a split second motion, you're not allowing your motor pattern, your body to do what it does naturally. You're getting in the way, you're creating interference. So let's talk about number four, because this is really arguably one of the toughest balances Mm. for everybody to manage. Because you say, well, I've got a swing flaw. I know my swing's not perfect. Once my swing's perfect, then I can focus on my mental game. That's usually backwards. This might be the biggest backwards key Mm. of anything. So dig into this one a little bit for the passengers. Yeah, I guess right off the top, if you're waiting till your swing is perfect to be able to go to the course and just not even have to think about it, you'll never get there because your swing, you can never perfect your swing, right? So there will always be, there will always be some part of you knowing my swing is not there yet, so I need to work on it. And that's in the back of my mind while I'm hitting this shot. But something I've learned, and I this has shifted for me over the years of... You got to be target focused. Any thought of your swing while you play is wrong. And that would, if you asked me three, four years ago, I would have said, absolutely. Everyone needs to get there. And what I've learned since is not everyone's like Josh, right? That might be, and I've honestly learned that I might not even be that way where I'll I'll use myself as an example, how I go through my routine in a mental way of pick and target versus thinking about my swing is I will pick my ultimate target. I'll pick an intermediate target and then I'm set up over the ball. And at that point, I feel like my target has figured itself out, right? I don't have to think about that anymore. Now I can kind of focus on my swing feel, right? Whatever kind of vague sense that I have. But then on the other extreme that you mentioned is like, you're giving yourself too much instruction. You're thinking too much about it. That that will hurt. But I think the biggest thing that has shifted my thoughts is talking to swing instructors. And, and I've had a couple on recently where I've asked them about this. How much should you think about your swing while you're playing? And one of them said, I, they were talking about themselves. I play better if I think about this thing in my, this highly technical thing in my swing. 
you know, it's like, let's do an A-B test. I'm going to play without it, without thinking about it, and I'm going to play with it. I play better thinking about it because when I don't think about it, you know, I, I bring the club way inside and I, over, you know, do this and that. But if I think about it, I can take the club back and it might be more robotic, but the end result is better. So it's not as simple as either focus on target or focus on swing, either have zero swing thoughts, one, two, three, four. But the general consensus is probably have no more than two, right? One or two things. Yeah. But it's also like sensory versus positional, right? Exactly. Right. Like I don't feel want to versus think of technique. my elbow here. Right. But if I feel like I'm staying in my posture or I feel really smooth or like yes. swing like an oil can, which I forget <laughs> who said that. Who? Oh, interesting. Some One of the greatest players ever. So I forget if that was Hogan. Mm. Or someone said, I swing like my body's made of oil, but yeah. you know, that could be a fun right. sensory swing key. Right? Yeah. So you, you're get you're trying to get away from, I think most players, because we can't talk to individual people here. We don't know individual people's personality, right? How they think, how they feel, but most people could do better if they limit the things and keep it as simple as possible. And then also maybe experiment with yourself and say, okay, do I hit the ball better when I'm, when I'm trying to think about the target mentally while I'm hitting, or do I hit it better when I'm pick a target and forget about it and think about a swing feel and okay, I'm going to, I'm going to play this round thinking about this one technique. How does that go? So maybe being more experimental, Yep. And saying, okay, I don't play good when I think about four things. I don't play good when I'm trying to think about the target. I do think I do play good when I'm doing this. Being curious, being experimental, I think yeah. would be good advice there. That's a great point. It reminds me, I know you've had Kyle Alderink on the show. Mm -hmm. um, we've had multiple mental golf type episodes. And it reminds yep. me of something I learned from John, the founder, which is it's not one or the other. It's dominant. It's just like I'm right-hand dominant versus left-hand yes. not dominant, right? So we all have our dominant tendencies, but that doesn't mean that mm. I I need zero target, right? right. And so I think that's right. a good reminder. Yeah, um, it might be 70-30, right? Yeah, We're exactly. Not, and some people might be 100-0, 98-2, but most people are probably a mixture. Yeah. So if you're cool with it, I think we can go 10 minutes over and knock out the final two. All right. Let's go. So number I've got five. One. You got By the one? way. Let's I go to one. yours first. Okay. Okay. My my thinking, and maybe maybe I happen to read your mind. I don't know. But my my That'd one be wild is, if it was the same one. It would be how players define confidence. Mm. So I'm interested in in your thoughts, and I've got a lot of thoughts on this. So we might disagree which should be cool honestly but yeah. um, i think i know what you're gonna say okay so the maybe i'll just keep it open-ended how do you define confidence that's a good question can i say what i think people think first bring it you can say whatever you want it's your show so i think <laughs> true <laughs> i think people define confidence by good golf mm. so you need to see good golf in order to feel confident what i I don't think I've ever said this, but what I define true confidence is if I do this, I'll be okay. 
Hmm. It's a self-belief that's driven in, rooted in practice and work that I know my tendencies. And if I do one or two of these things, like I know I can, I'm going to be okay. And you can, and usually more times than not, if you play around like that, like for example, if I swing 80% today, I'm probably going to be okay. Hmm. My foul balls don't usually happen when I swing 80%. It usually happens when I've got way too many things in my head mechanically, or I'm swinging out of my shoes, right? Hmm. So if I just swing 80%, my dispersion I know is going to be okay. I don't need to worry about that water, right? As long as I do 80%, I'm going to be okay. Now that's a very simple example, but I think that's what confidence is. Mm. My opinion. What do you think? I obviously, I, I love your first one where you said most people think it's, I've been playing well recently. I've got good results. Therefore I can be confident. And the counter to that would be, well, that's really fragile because yeah. what if you haven't, what if you mm -hmm. start off this round with a triple bogey and immediately you're against the wall. How are you going to like, is your confidence shattered? Well, then maybe you're finding your source of confidence in something different, but yep. your second one, that's really, I've, I've never heard that way of talking about it before. Of, I've never talked about it like that before. Right. <laughs> I don't that's know what really happened. <laughs> that's awesome. It's basically, I know myself so well that this is almost like my, safety zone, right? This is my comfort zone. Like this is my key, right? For today, this is my priority. So if I do this, then I'll probably be okay. And I, I think that has a lot of value for two reasons. One is you're more process focused and less result focused. Mm -hmm. So it's like, I'm going to focus on doing, doing this thing well, and the result should happen, right? It, like the result happens as a symptom of me doing the thing that I'm going to care more about. And the other is if I do this, I'm going to be okay. I think that leaves it open to, but I might not, right? I might not be okay. Even if I do do this, I might not be okay. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a really strong source of confidence is even if I'm not okay, I will be all right. I will yeah, permission continue. To permission to fail. Exactly. Yeah. If you're allowed to fail, if failure is okay with you, if mistakes are okay with you, what's to be afraid of, right? You're yeah. not going to avoid mistakes. You're not going to play scared. You're going to play confidently. You're going to feel confidence. So yeah, it's that statement of like, no matter what happens, I'm going to figure it out. Yeah. I'm going right. to be okay. I have the tools. Right. Yeah. I, I've been working on it. Yeah. And if it I goes terrible today, that's okay. I'm going to get back to work on it. Right. So really confidence is fragile. Confidence is based on results. Strong confidence is based on process. Yeah. To put it as simple as possible. Yeah. yeah. Now, number six is somewhat similar, but it's also very unique. It's very different than what we've talked about. It's thinking about what will happen if, when, something goes wrong versus mm. what does it look like for this to go right? And I learned this from Rick Sessinghouse on a playing lesson we did recently where he said, what does the good shot look like here? 
Mm. Where in the past, vocalization to me was talking about where I don't want to go, where's the miss, and then pick a target. But I wasn't vocalizing what does the good shot look like? And having very deliberate instruction. Well, it starts at that tree by the green and it's going to fall five yards right. I was using words like maybe, I think. Mm. He was really helping me get clear on the best case scenario. That doesn't mean you ignore the stuff you want to avoid. So it's nuanced from what was this number three, right? Trying mm. not to hit into hazard versus getting clear. But this is also focused on what you want, focus on how it goes right versus mm. what you want to avoid going wrong. You see the difference? Yeah. Does that make sense? Yes, I do. So I think addressing the worst case, like, or where is the areas to miss or what am I scared of? Those are kind of part of it needs to be like it. Most of us are familiar with decade where it's kind of all built on what's a bad miss, right? right? And aiming away from that bad miss. It's almost like all you're thinking about all day is where not to hit it. Right. And that has a lot of value, yeah. but if that's all you care about all day, then you're never, you're never really telling yourself, okay, what do I want to do here? Right now there is, there is value to, okay. I know everywhere I don't want to hit it, which kind of by process of elimination tells me I should aim there. Right. It, right. it can lead to a clear yeah. target, but actually vocalizing it and saying, this is where I want it to start. This is where I want it to end up. I, I can see it already in my head. I think that does have value. And speaking of mental golf type and John Weir, he would say some people like that. Some people need that. Some people need that kind of verbalization. I can see it, visualization. I can already experience it in my head. Some people need that. And other people maybe don't need it as strongly. I think that might fall into a personality type. And I, I don't know where I would fall on that. I haven't played enough rounds thinking about it, being aware of it, but I definitely don't think everyone needs to fully verbalize every shot before hitting it in order mm -hmm. to hit it well. I, I think a lot of players could get value from that because they're probably too consumed with what they're scared of. Yeah. So you got to have both. I think yeah. you got to you got to be able to notice. Wow, I'm terrified of going there. Okay, why? We need to figure that out so that you can choose where you do want to go. Yeah, and I've noticed for me personally over the years, if I have that fear, I rush, mm. and so I play super fast. But with rushing, I have no clarity on where I want to go, mm. and my body has no idea what to do if I don't give it that. So. Right. It's, it's it's not just fear negative versus positive target. Yeah. It's also rushing no no direction as yeah. well. Right. Yeah. All right. Number seven, Josh. We're gonna round it yep. all out right here. Let's this do one it. of my this this one is probably the clearest difference I see. Cause we have amateurs on this show. We do what we call mental game roundtables with 10, 15 handicaps all the way down. I've done it with pros. And pros versus amateurs, this goes to the decade system a bit. This is the biggest difference. 
The, the thing that they do backwards is they play aggressive, too aggressive versus swinging aggressive to conservative mm. targets. So this is number seven. Round it out for us, Josh. What yeah, your thoughts on this? And, and this this piggybacks on, I don't remember which number, but it's the avoidance versus being proactive and going for something, right? Mm-hmm. So if you, and it, and it also tags on trying too hard, right? So yeah. if you're trying too hard, you're going to play aggressive and if you're scared, you're going to like it. If you're, if you feel the need, I need to hit it close here. You're going to, on the one hand, try too hard and also swing scared. So you're going to be caught between in this horrible place of making a very constricted golf swing, very guidey, right? I need to hit it close, but I'm also scared of not hitting it close. And now that I'm aiming at the flag, I'm scared of missing it short-sided or that hazard that's right next to the hole. So that's a perfect storm for a very guidey swing, very guidey yeah. shot compared to I'm going to play within myself, right? And back to your definition of confidence of like, if I do this, I'll be okay. One of those would be if I aim at the center of every green, right? Maybe that's someone's thing. Or if I follow decade to the T, right? I'm, I'm going to aim exactly where it tells me to go. Or I'm just going to simply know my own dispersion and follow that, play within that. But once I pick that target, I'm committed to it. I'm fully invested in that target. Nothing else matters. And Rick Sessinghouse, this is where I wanted to start. This is where I wanted to finish. So picking a conservative target and swinging aggressively to it kind of addresses everything. And with that being said, you also have to know, okay, I tried that, but I was still scared of something. But I think it makes, I think it takes away a lot of the things that you could be scared of. Because if you're kind of hitting to the middle of the green, there's a lot fewer things to be scared of. The margin for error is bigger. Mistakes yeah. are less penal. So there's less to be afraid of. You can swing more freely. You can swing more aggressively. So that might be the ultimate mentality, yeah. kind of. It kind of round, rounds up everything. Yep. And I think that's a reason. There's a reason why Tiger has said that, right? He's He seems super aggressive. He seems super like uh, trying hard constantly. But I think what we've all realized watching him and seeing him plot along is he's he's really smart and he's really conservative uh, in, a, in a lot of ways. Yeah. So, you know, watching the 2019 master's final round he just plotted right he just kind of like you said let the round emerge come to him Mm -hmm. instead of i'm trying hard i'm firing at flags he might have done that if he was six shots back but it's like i'm in control here right i'm staying within myself so yeah that's a huge one i don't think conservative swing people realize how amazing it is how conservative he plays with how good Mm. he is like the the yeah. self control and discipline when you're hitting flags in practice every day yeah. for a thousand shots a day, to have that restraint is truly amazing. Mm. So before I give you the floor to kind of close everything out, let's do a quick review. So yeah, um, one was trying to stop bad thoughts from coming in versus expecting them to show up, knowing how to manage it. Right. Two was trying harder is going to get me better results versus 
letting the round kind of emerge and come to you and trust that you can handle any situation through practice. Three is trying not to hit it in a hazard or somewhere versus getting really clear on where you want it to go. Four, thinking about your swing instead of the shot or the target, understanding your ratio, right? We talked about that. Mm. Five was from you, which was a great one. Confidence mm. coming from past good golf mm. um, versus having permission to fail. Mm. Six is thinking about what would happen if and when everything goes wrong versus what would it look like to go right. And seven is playing too aggressive versus swinging aggressive to conservative targets. I love that, man. That's like, did we just write the, the Bible here? Right. Yeah. You could, it's done. Right. Like I'm, <laughs> I'm going to stop seven my commandments. It's <laughs> a seven commandments. I mean, if you, if you incorporate all seven of these in some way, it doesn't solve everything for you. You still have to apply it. You still have to actually go work on your game and make your swing, not be, you know, five degrees into out, right? Flipping at it. Like you still have things to do, but this is, this addresses fears, but also this addresses strategy, your ability to be proactive with what you, what you want, right? Go for what you want and not try to avoid what you don't, right? It's, it's like kind of, um, fundamentals, mental fundamentals. You might say fundamentals. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. So before we let you go, Josh, obviously we need to tell people where to find you and Hmm. check out the Mental Golf Show, of course. But before you tell people where to find you, I ask this to every guest. Is there anything we talked about that you really want to hammer home and reiterate? Mm -hmm. Or is there anything we didn't talk about that you think's worth noting that you want to leave people with? I think um, something, a, a phrase you mentioned that I talk about a lot is permission to fail. We, we all assume and have been told our whole lives mistakes and failure are unacceptable, right? And, and a lot of it, a lot of times it goes back to childhood, right? Where you're, you're expected to do well, you're rewarded when you do well and you're not punished, but it's like, it, feel, it sucks and feels awful to not win and do bad, right? So we grow up assuming that must be true. So working towards giving yourself permission to fail opens yourself up to swing aggressively to conservative targets, to play freely, to not be afraid of hitting it out of bounds left, to be able to be present constantly, to be able to swing 80% and be within yourself and be kind of not mindlessly going through a round of golf, reacting to every little thing, emotional. It allows you to be yourself. Right. Yeah. So I, I think if I could hammer anything home, it'd be work towards a better relationship with failure. Yeah. Mm. I love that. Cause imagine the feeling, imagine the energy of going into a round with like, I might fail, bring it on. Yeah. Like, That's true confidence. Yeah. Like I'm probably going to fail today at some point and I'm not scared of it and watch what I do after. Yes. Like think about yes. if, 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 Let's finish on this. This is so great. If everybody's doing these seven things, the seven commandments that we talked about, in order to avoid failure, you're really not that much closer to confidence because you're doing it in a conditional way, Mm. right? Versus Mm. if you do use these things as tools in your toolbox to help you when you get off track, 
but you have a firm belief that no matter what emerges, I'm going to be okay. And I'm going to respond better every time failure pops, rears its ugly head, mm-hmm. or maybe it's beautiful head, right? You know, maybe yeah, that's the thing. A, yeah, yeah. I think that's a really cool energy to play with. And I love, mm-hmm. I love ending on that. So tell people where they can find you. Yeah, uh, this is awesome, right? I love talking about this stuff. And I talk about this stuff plenty over on Twitter, X, at Josh Luke Nichols, my full name, Josh Luke Nichols, over there. The same on Instagram. I I do some stuff on Instagram and TikTok. I'll throw up some videos. So maybe Mm -hmm. you get some value from that. And I, like you mentioned, I do the mental golf show, the perfect compliment to the par train. Listen to both of them. You're going to get it all figured out. So those are kind of my main sources of output. I also coach players and I, I do a custom practice plan and, and I have a free mental game assessment you can go take and all that you can find on joshnicholsgolf.com. Uh, that's a pretty good place to kind of one-stop shop, find everything about me. Sweet. So yeah, uh, come, come listen and see if you learned something. Yeah. Love it. Well, I loved having you on board the par train and uh, we'll have to do this again sometime soon. And I mean, I'm going to come on the mental golf show very yes. soon. So can't wait, can't for, not wait for you to be there and I can grill you with some stuff. <laughs> yeah. Can't wait. The passengers will have to come over there yes. for that as well. So thank you, Josh. This was great. Evan, this has been a pleasure. Hey guys, this is Evan. Before you hop off board, if you love the podcast and you love our merchandise drops, I think I got something you'll probably enjoy. You go to thepartrain.com, hop aboard our email list, Get a free newsletter that keeps your game on track, a little mental nugget every Monday. And then maybe even more importantly, first access to merchandise drops before any Instagram promotion. We send it to our email subscribers first. And so if that interests you, hop aboard the email list at thepartrain.com. Hope you guys enjoyed the ride. Take care.